had it. I don't like blonde men. Why would I like one one blonde as man? As soon as his uh, Howl's Moving Castle-looking ass showed up on the scene, I was <laughs> like, yes. Hi, I'm Melissa. And I'm Gwen. And this is Tea and Squee. This is the podcast where we spill the tea about the things that make us squee. Today we're continuing our coverage of A Court of Thorns and Roses. Today we're covering chapters 17 through 31. So this is what we have deemed to be the middle part of yeah. this book. Um, and it's It's, it's a middle. <laughs> it is middle. It's mid. It's, it's real mid. It's middle. <laughs> Um, before we jump into that, though, we got our Spotify wrapped today. Woo! It was and very it, exciting. It made us very warm and fuzzy. Um, I mean, we, we posted all the stats and everything on our Instagram if you want yeah. to actually look at the stats. But we we just wanted to say, like, we know that our our community and our listenership is small, but we appreciate all of you who listen. It makes us yes. happy to know that someone is is listening and wanting to uh, hear whatever bullshit we have to say. Yeah. So <laughs> and even y'all who are abroad, like we have five countries, I think it said that listen to us and like our number two and three were Brazil and Germany, which I thought was pretty cool because I was like, oh, it's just our friends and family who listen to this podcast. And that's you let just your family listen to this. I mean, my sister and my cousin, I think, listen to it. Oh, but I no. think that would be it. My family has explicit instructions to never listen to this. <laughs> I was like, yay, this is very good and very exciting. I also love our most popular episode was like, anyway, the wind blows, which is cute because I loved her like, carry on mm -hmm. moment. Oh. Wow. That literally only a year ago, but it yeah. feels like an entire lifetime and a half ago. A oh lot my has God, changed in the year that we've been podcasting. You're right. Anyway, um. <laughs> so we jump in in chapter 17 and Feyre's awoken that night by a nightmare about the surreal and the Naga. She goes downstairs and she finds Tamlin carrying in an injured summer court fairy who's been dumped over the border and whose wings have been ripped from his body. Feyre and Tamlin stay with him until he dies, Feyre comforting him and Tamlin praying. And Feyre apologizes to Tamlin for Andres, for killing Andres. And Tamlin goes to bury the dead fairy alone. Tamlin reeks of guilt here. She and I can't does. tell whether I believe that he should or not. Like, I it... It's not as though it's actually his fault that Amarantha no, is doing this. But it's kind of like a direct consequence mm -hmm. of, like, the things he's not doing to kind of, like, boot her out of the the throne or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. he's, like, not falling through on, like, what he's supposed to do to defeat her. Right, right. And it it's also frustrating because it makes me, like, clearly she's always been this evil Mm -hmm. And she's always had this amount of cruelty in her, and she's always been capable of this. But we find out later that a big part of why she is doing what she's doing, why she placed this curse on Tamlin, why he has to get a human to fall in love with him, is because of a dick comment that he yeah. made. It wasn't even like a necessary comment or like no. a worthwhile comment. It was just like a snide comment. It was just a snide remark that he made. Like about... in passing. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, Tamlin, you know, maybe 
you should feel a little guilty. It's not ex- exactly your fault that this summer court no. fairy is dying on your table, but I'm okay with you feeling some guilt, okay? I feel like Amarantha is doing this also because she knows he's going to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, oh, Tamlin is kind of compassionate, or at least more compassionate than she is. And he's like, she's like, well, I'm going to make him feel like it's his fault that this is happening. Because, like, Loki, it is. Mm-hmm. Also, his openness here is interesting because he's so I, yeah. closed off in every book following. I'm not talking about just after he has been left by Feyre. It's in general, like that yeah. first chunk of A Court of Mist and Fury where she is still with him, he's also closed off. Yep. And so in this middle section where we see some of his vulnerability and we see some of that open honesty from him, it's just very interesting to see and i think it makes Mm -hmm. him a more dynamic and compelling and interesting character as we continue to read the series because we know that he's capable of this so where did that go how do we Mm -hmm. bring it back and what would he be capable of if he allowed himself to live with that open honesty unfiltered you know yes well i do like to think that like this is like kind of noting the next couple of points we're going to be making in this episode but like he was friends with, like, a person like Resand once in his life. You know, he's mm-hmm. very obviously capable of being open with other people. And I'm wondering if, like, he was just opened up because of Feyre's, like, kindness towards this fey human. Not human. This fey who's mm-hmm. dying slash died on their table. And, like, you know, Tamlin doesn't... I don't think he fully thinks... Like, he's like, oh, Feyre's getting comfortable here. But I feel like he still thinks that she hates fairies. So when she he sees her, like openly being upset and grieving this loss he's like oh okay i'm gonna open up a little bit i feel a little bit more comfortable here i'm gonna share a little bit too and then he's like no that was a mistake never mind i'm never doing mm-hmm. that again it's just so it's fascinating to me because it, it what overpowers his desire to like shoulder things alone is his desire to better understand Feyre, mm-hmm. and there is the least amount to understand about Feyre in this book There's so much more to understand about her as we continue in the series. And for whatever reason, after this book, he is no longer interested in discovering things about her and learning about her. This chapter also makes me sad because this is the team that they could have been as High Lord and his wife. If Tamlin had just trusted her after Under the Mountain... Yep. And not been a sexist and overprotective prick. Yep. Like, if, if she had had the opportunity to be High Lady of the Spring Court, this is the dynamic they could have had with him being the regal one who says prayers over the dead, who is a leader in all of those ways, and Feyre being the gentle hand that walks you through mm-hmm. the nightmares. This yeah. could have been the team, and, and he had to he just... ruin it. Uh, Tamlin, tampon, this is why we process our trauma and we don't just bury it. I feel like that's 99.999% of the reason why he doesn't feel comfortable opening up in later books. Like, this is the last time we see him doing it because, like, I think the pressure from Amarantha starts getting to him more. So he feels even, you know, more need to shut down. And then all the shit that happens under the mountain, he's like, I'm traumatized. I'm never opening up again because look what happened when I did fuck this shit and it's so sad to see because tamlin oh he had potential Mm -hmm. to be not a dickwad he really did (laughs) he really really did so the next morning feyre tamlin and lucian ride out to a glen in the spring court 
and Tamlin pulls Feyre up off the picnic blanket and he goes to show her something beyond the trees. It's a pool of starlight and that was his favorite haunt as a boy. Um, there we find out more about Lucian's background and the autumn court and they start to swim in the pool. And this is this is kind of a cute moment. Okay. And Feyre tells Famlin about how her father lost their fortune and their, her first couple of years in the woods. And they're just like, that's not cute. But like her feeling comfortable opening up to him is is cute like when i read this the first time and i didn't know that tampon was gonna be a dick i was like this is really cute look at them bonding and being romantic <laughs> i want to point out obvious thing we've talked about it a little bit other akatar commenters have talked about it yeah. extensively but i just want to point out the fact that tamlin mentions that this place was his favorite one of his favorite haunts as a boy we know that he and resand were friends in the past and there's literally a pool of starlight the starlight yeah. pool is symbolic of resand okay we've we've, we've hit that we're <laughs> we've there okay there. <laughs> okay so what i i love <laughs> at the beginning of this chapter there's a little moment um, that I'm just going to read straight from the book on page yes. 157. I shook my head and faced forward, tracing my hand through the feather soft grass, cataloging its color and texture. I'd never felt grass like it, and I certainly wasn't going to ruin the experience by sitting on a blanket. Rushed whispers were exchanged behind me, and before I could turn around to investigate, Tamlin took a seat at my side. His jaw was clenched tight enough that I stared ahead. I just want to know. <laughs> what... <laughs> What happened? What was said here? The the I can just imagine Tamlin and Lucian looking at, looking at each other and T Tamlin being like she's not sitting on the blanket. I brought I brought the blanket and she's not sitting on it. And Lucian being like go sit next to her, you idiot. And he's like but she's not sitting. She's sitting on the grass. Just like some just, sort of commoner. You got go. she is a commoner. Sit on the grass. <laughs> <laughs> just it's very a la Kiss the Girl from Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. this, this whole little section of Lucian being the wingman for Tamlin Feyre is screaming Sebastian serenading Ariel I, also, I, I just made the realization. I just made the realization. Like, I've, I've been noticing and I've known that Lucian is, like, big time wingman throughout this oh, book, yeah. right? Like, he is constantly telling Tamlin what to do and showing Tamlin how to woo a woman. And I just realized it's because Tamlin has never had to before, and yep. Lucian has. Like, yeah. Lucian, Lucian had a betrothed. Like, mm -hmm. he, he and Jasminda were going to get married. Lucian knows how to woo a lady. Yeah, Tamlin does. doesn't. Tamlin doesn't get it. And so Lucian no literally skills. has to hold his hand through this and be like, <laughs> listen, bro, I have more game than you. Just listen to me, okay? Yes. This is like the buddy cop you know, spin-off novel I need. It's just Tamlin and Lucian, and Lucian being like, I have to be your hype man. I have mm -hmm. to tell you how to do this, because you are, you complimented her hair. You said it was clean. Like, that's what you said. That was horrible. I'm, <laughs> we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> I also have to point out, because we know that I love Lucy, boy. I love Lucian. We do love Lucy. And there's an important part at the end of this chapter. Lucian apologizes to Feyre for not coming to defend her against the Naga. Um, he tells her that he hesitated when he heard her scream, and he says that he's sorry that he did. And to make amends, he gives Feyre a bejeweled dagger that matches his sword. At the beginning of the book, when Feyre first met Lucian, she uh, 
catalogs that he has a bejeweled sword and dagger um, and that they're unlike any other weapons that she sees in the spring court. Tamlin, when he carries weapons, his are very simple. The whole bejeweled, decorated aspect is very much Lucian. He gives Feyre this bejeweled dagger that matches his sword that is a very personal and like trademark Lucian thing and then says, it's yours, don't bury it in my back, please. He's literally giving her a piece of himself and asking her not to use it mm-hmm. to betray him, which is even more significant when you consider the fact that this is the chapter where Feyre learns his tragic backstory. Tamlin tells her all about how his brothers held him down and made him watch while his father beheaded his lover, and then they all tried to hunt him down and kill him, and Lucian escaped to the spring court, and Tamlin took him in. And so Lucian is giving Feyre a piece of himself, you know, the physical dagger Mm -hmm. that was his, that please don't stab me in the back. But it's also a, I am giving you my friendship. You know intimate information about me. Do not use it against me. I love Lucy. He's such a complex (laughs) character. I don't know. I like seeing this, this whole like little section, like, it's not very long, but I feel like it has, like, such significance to, like, the building of Feyre's relationships with, um, Tamlin and Lucian. Like, the part, um, where Tamlin and Feyre have, like, this actually honest conversation, I think, is another example of them furthering their romantic relationship by allowing each other, like, in emotionally mm-hmm. and unburdening themselves to each other. Like, discussing her past, discussing Lucian's past, giving her, showing her his childhood haunts, like, his favorite place in the entire world like such an important milestone to like their relationship but also Feyre's relationship with Lucian which is going to come back and help her under the mountain later. So Feyre's paints finally arrive and she struggles with feelings of happiness and also feelings of guilt and resentment toward her family. She and Tamlin have a heart to heart uh, and like their first intimate moment in the garden in which Tamlin kisses and heals a injury that she has on her hand from rose thorns from a rose that she plucked from the garden. Tamlin then reads Feyre, you know, the next day, reads her some dirty limericks in the woods <laughs> and explains what a mating bond is. So he explains the difference between human marriage and a fae mating bond. Then Tamlin and Lucian are confronted by the adder who reminds him of his arrangement with the mysterious she, uh, quote unquote she. Callan Mai approaches the next day and Tamlin explains to Feyre that it's a spring holiday that's meant to bring back a swell of magic to the lands and does not explain <laughs> beyond that. Swell of magic. <laughs> I hate it. Um, I also, like, I started noting because Akatar technically, like, it is a Beauty and the Beast retelling. I feel like that's what it's marketed as at at least, but, like, there aren't a, t- a ton of references in the actual novel, but, like, when Tamlin shows Feyre the art gallery, like, I feel like this is the equivalent of the Beast gifting Belle, like, the massive library, another show of ram- romance, another yeah. step closer to breaking this curse. Like, it's just something to note that while this is a Beauty and the Beast retelling, we don't actually see a, a whole lot of references. Like, I think the painting and the gallery thing is, like, the most we get and then Tamla makes some other comments later and I'm like this this is it 
<laughs> this is all we get. Cool. Sounds great. <laughs> On Kalan Mai, uh, Tamlin tells Feyre he's participating in the Great Rite as the High Lord and no matter what, to not leave her bedroom that night. Um, Feyre actually listens to this initially, but then she is called out of her bedroom by the tugging of drumbeats in the distance. Um, when she gets down there, she initially runs into some fae that are likely to take advantage of her, but she is saved and caught by a handsome stranger, which is Rhysand. All along there was some, some invisible, invisible string tie you to me. me. <laughs> like bitch, those were not the drum beats calling you out there. No. That was your fucking mate. Hell yeah! <laughs> oh, I love this part. I love this part so much. There oh. you are. I've been looking for you. I'm like, oh. Rhysan pulling a fucking howl from Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. Just, yes. Please and uh, thank you. I've seen that audio dubbed like all over a ton of Akatar like edits on TikTok, and I'm like, I have not consumed Howl's Moving Castle before. You'd but enjoy I'm, like, it. I feel like I would enjoy it, mm -hmm. but I was just like, this is really cute, and I really like it. Um, so the handsome stranger <laughs> flirts with Feyre. Her alarm bells go off, but she manages to evade him, and then Lucian finds her and drags her back to the house. He explains the right, uh, the right being that Tamlin's gonna fuck, <laughs> and he wants to fuck her, and then later Tamlin confronts Reed attacks, attacks Feyre in the hallway. Okay. <laughs> I just want to point out Lucian's so surprised that no one has explained anything to her. He remains the only sensible one. I the only sensible man. one. Like, of course he would think that Tamlin would have explained this yeah. to her. Or Alice would have. Why did no one tell Feyre this? And why is it my job to tell Feyre this? This should not be my job. Tampon was too embarrassed to tell her that he has to fuck tonight. <laughs> Lucian <But> also <laughs> says that this is something that all the High Lords have to do. Is this a plot hole? Does Reese have a great right and I'm just forgetting it? Like, I, I, I don't remember this. Reese doesn't I have to have sex with anyone to make their magic work, right? Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't. I remember. I feel like Farah makes a comment about this in Akamath. Okay, and we're I don't find remember out. what he says necessarily, but I feel like he's like, "Oh, I'm powerful." Blah 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 blah. I don't have to do this. Listen, I'll be honest. I'll be totally honest. The first time I read this series, you know, a month ago, I yeah. was <laughs> I was speeding through them so fast that I did not absorb a lot of crucial information. And so there's a lot of things where I'm like, is this a plot hole? And it's not. It's just I didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Tamlin. First of all, first of all, he outright lies to her. Okay. So when he attacks her in the hallway, he's like half feral. And he yeah. talks about how the woman that he ended up choosing, like, begged him not to be gentle. And then he says, I would have been gentle with you, though, to Feyre. It's bullshit. As if he's being gentle right now when he is somewhat, somewhat mm -hmm. in control of himself. And we know that during the right, he's not at all. Like, the magic takes control. Yeah. If he can't be gentle now when he is in control of most of his faculties, how is he going to be gentle during the right? It's bullshit. It is 
bullshit. Gaslighting. Mm. And then the moment that she begins to extract pleasure from the situation and reciprocates his advances, he pulls away. Makes me so angry. And then reinforces that power dynamic that he has over her by telling her to never disobey me again. Shut the fuck up, Tampon. My God. Ruined a perfectly good smutty moment by having to be a dickwad. I hate this man. He's the worst. Something I noticed and I thought was kind of cool, like even when Feyre is frustrated and by Rhysand's arrogance and even like a little bit fearful of him, like Feyre even says like she feels compelled to keep talking to him. She can't stop talking to the beautiful stranger. She almost feels pulled to him. Something In to note. Direction. But she you thinks she likes it. it. She thinks she likes it. I'm glad you read my mind from here. That's immediately what I thought of. And then I was like, Gwen's not going to think of that too. Oh. We went to high school at the same time, this Alyssa. We both true. went through Wednesday Adam obsessions. This is true. Musical theater kids in high school. It's you think you true. can say the word pulled and not have me hear Krista Rodriguez in my head? No. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. So I hate Tamlin and his gaslighting ass, um, but I can't deny that him pinning her against a wall, like, it's it's really, really hot. But also then he ruins it. He ruins the, the like, the kind of hot moment. By being like, oh, Feyre is feeling pleasure. Guess I better pull away now. Like, fuck you. Good on Feyre for sassing him back because, like, maybe if someone had told this girl some information, she would have, like, listened. Don't tell her not to disobey you again. And then refuse to tell her all the information. Like, it took Lucian to explain to her why she couldn't go to Calamai for her to fully understand what's going on. And, like, this whole situation could have been avoided. But also, then she wouldn't have met Rhysand. So, like... There is only one moment in this entire book where Tamlin is actually attractive to me. We haven't gotten there yet. And I'll point it out <laughs> when we get there. But you reread this part before I did. And so, like, you had just finished texting me about how, like, damn, I hate Tamlin. But, like, him pinning her against a wall is hot. And then I sat down to read this section. And I was, <laughs> I was with Alex when I did it. And I'm sitting there, like throwing my book against my lap out of rage and i'm like i can't believe Alyssa finds this scene hot i'm so angry right now <laughs> i texted my boyfriend too when i saw your comments i was like i was like i thought this scene was really hot and gwen had the total opposite reaction to me here is the thing it's not the pinning against a wall that i have a problem with it is the non-consensual pinning against the wall yeah because he comes out of nowhere and does that to her in the middle of the night when she's just trying to walk back to her room with her chocolate cookies, okay? Mm -hmm. And then when she tries to duck out from underneath him, he pins her in place by biting her neck. Yeah. That is not hot. No. Sneaking up on someone and scaring them like that is not hot. Take it out of context. And I was like, yeah, this is great, but I can't take this out of context because mm -hmm. this is the context. But mm -hmm. I was like <laughs> glossing over that when I was reading, though. And then I was like, I got to go. I can't do this anymore. I got to keep reading. <laughs> keep keep moving through. <laughs> keep moving, Alyssa. <laughs> I can't. So the next morning, Feyre and Tamlin get in a fight about him biting her. So like Feyre was like, she was going to cover up the hickey that it made. And then she was like, you know what? He acted like a fucking brute. 
I'm I'm gonna like leave it open and Lucian's just like um what's that on your neck and then they get into like a little tissy mm-hmm. um and then I think it's either that night I think it's that night um she wears a dress um to dinner and Lucian is like bye um and then she gets a little <laughs> bit drunk off some wine and she shows Tamlin her paintings and she gives him a painting um so and he waxes philosophy about how he's never truly felt understood by anyone before which is why he chose like her what she thought was like the depressing painting because he was like oh this girl understands sacrifice what has this man sacrificed it bothers me so much that he's constantly shooting down her efforts to like help and he's being so whiny about how it's his burden to bear while he's literally doing nothing to solve the problem. He is half-assing so much with Feyre. And once again, like, Tamlin is so stagnant, it's frustrating because Feyre is so action-motivated. Um, and he says something that reveals the issues he and Feyre are going to have in the next novel, Following Under the Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he doesn't want to send her away because he wants her here, painting and safe. He mm-hmm. does not envision Feyre as a savior or a helper. She is something for him to protect and claim, even before he goes through all the Under the Mountain trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, another demonstration of the imbalanced power dynamic... Oh my god. The imbalanced power dynamic between them. Um, he refuses to see her as an equal when she is striving to be that for her, to be that comfort. And he's like, nah, I don't want you to be my equal, Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. I have the page pulled up because I have another quote that I'm going to mm. pull from the next one. But the moment you're talking about is on page 206. Um, he says, no, I don't want you to live somewhere else. I want you here where I can look after you, where I can come home and know you're here, painting and safe. I thought about sending you away at first. Part of me still thinks I should have found somewhere else for you to live. Maybe I was selfish. Even when you made it so clear that you were more interested in ignoring the treaty or finding a way out of it, I couldn't bring myself to let you go, to find somewhere else in Prithian where you'd be comfortable enough to not attempt to flee. Ugh. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. It's giving... (laughs) This This is gonna sound so bad when I say it. It's giving person whose pet is way too old and is suffering. Oh, yeah. But they refuse to do what must be done. And they just let the pet keep suffering because they're going to miss them too much. Yup. It reminds me of like, there's this TikToker that does spoofs of this old grandma with Mm -hmm. her really geriatric dog that needs like yes. all the fucking help in the world mm-hmm. missy or whatever and it's hilarious but like this is exactly what it, it, tamlin wants it see views favor i should say this is I their have, relationship dynamic i have the ick so bad for it's this so bad. man like <laughs> earlier in the chapter when she's wearing the dress and uh lucian pieces out and they're sitting at the table. He shrinks the table. And she's like, uh, why would you do that? Why not just move closer? And he says, and miss the chance to show off to a beautiful woman. <laughs> Never. Give this asshole a fedora. Oh, oh my, my God. God. He is every horrible tenor in a theater department. That's Tamlin. 
such aggressive you're not like other girls energy and I want to stab him from page 207 I've had many lovers females of noble birth warriors princesses but they never understood what it was like what it is like for me to care for my people my lands what scars are still there what the bad days feel like this reminds me of it that I'm not alone Shut the fuck up. You aren't even doing anything to save your people. You're literally doing nothing to save your people. Shut up. Like, he's going out and he's, like, you know, killing the Naga and hunting the Bogue and stuff like that. But, like, those feel like problems that he created and now he's just cleaning up his mess. Exactly. He's not solving the long-term problem. He's solving these little short-term problems that are a result of the long-term problem he is procrastinating solving. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Tamlin, if you just went to attack the big boy, you wouldn't have to deal with all the little boys, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> Feyre and Tamlin take an afternoon to go to a meadow and in exchange for a kiss on the back of his hand, Blech. Tamlin removes the glamour around Feyre, allowing her to experience Prithian with heightened senses, blah, 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 blah. It's literally like the shortest chapter in the world. I just want to mm-hmm. say that. It's so t- <laughs> It's like, it was only a couple of pages. I was like, that was it. Oh, okay, moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, so Feyre sees her existence with new and opened eyes. She's noticing just how much is happening around her. Um, Tamlin is reassuring her that she is safe in his lands. But literally the next day, she finds a head impaled on a fountain in the garden. So, like... (laughs) Attacking anyone here, attacking you, would cause more trouble than it's worth him. Just you wait, Tammy boy. You freaking wait. even when this happens even when she has direct proof in front of her that i don't that she's not going to be safe much longer here she's like thinking of the surreal's message to stay with the high lord and trusts that she is going to remain safe and i'm just wondering why she is taking the surreal's word so seriously she doesn't even question it like is it because the sole purpose of the surreal is to inform like its captor of knowledge like she took her so long to respect, like, the high fae, like, Lucian and Tamlin, but, like, the Surreal, she was like, yeah, instant. I trust you. I trust your word, man. And then it's just, I, I hate this middle section. It's, like, the five-page chapter, and, like, the pacing is so weird, and, like, it's slow. Um, It's, we have no momentum, and I just mm-hmm. want her to go full speed again, because we're gonna go full, like, holy shit, we're running off the tracks full right. speed once we're under the mountain, but, like... Is this this book's pacing is wackadoo. It's like it's like <laughs> SJM can either give us fluff 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 or she can yeah. give us some really intense and awesome plot and world development. And it's like the two uh, she she does it better in the next few books. Yeah, she does. But in this first one, it's like the two for whatever reason cannot happen simultaneously. No, they they always sink. have to be separate events. Um, and because of that, it just feels very disjointed in this middle section yeah. when she's trying to have them fall in love and also trying to advance the plot. And because of the disjointedness, it makes their love story less believable to me. Yeah. Like, we we get to the end where Faber's like, I'm going to go under the mountain and risk it all for Tamlin because I, don't I believe love him it, that much. Though. And I don't believe her. No. Like, I don't believe it anymore. I have... S- such so few textual evidence that like Feyre is actually like deeply in love with this person that she's willing to like risk her entire life like I feel like she's more motivated to go back under the mountain because of what happened in the to like the family in the mortal land 
Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's her guilt driving her more than her love for Tamlin because she feels like she has to right or wrong instead of her being like, I love him. I have to go save him. I don't question that she feels love for Tamlin. Yeah. I just don't. Or I question that she is in love with Tamlin. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it feels like like the I mean, they are technically in the honeymoon stage, but like that's mm-hmm. what their love feels like. Just very like superficial on the surface sort of like yeah. when you're first we, falling in love and you're just not really seeing we also get clearly. comments in the narration about like for weeks it went on this way with us spending all this time together I and it's want, like okay but i i need to see you, you spend that time show you guys went from tell. zero to 100 real fast that's my only and, that's my few writers critique is like i hate like you have to show not tell i hate just being told Mm -hmm. things in a narrative i want to be i want you to to tell me what happens show show me what happens with Feyre and tamlin make me believe their love story because like i don't part of the plot of this book is their love story and it needed to be treated the same way that the adventure plot is treated in this in this novel and it wasn't and so it just doesn't come off as believable all yeah. the way. And it lends that that fact lends to the argument that uh, I've heard time and time again, which is that A Court of Mist and Fury is the story that SJM wanted to tell, but she had to tell A Court of Thorns and Roses. Yes as sort of the exposition and introduction in order to yep. get to the point where she could actually tell the story she wanted to. Yeah. Like, I guess we could theorize that, like, maybe it's so superficial on the surface sort of love because they aren't meant to be mates or anything deeper than that. Like, this mm-hmm. is not her true love story. Like, it's going to be Resand. And so, I mean, when we do meet Resand, she does gush about him more than she's ever gushed about Tamlin, which is mm-hmm. interesting to know. I, I guess I still still I still want a little bit more like even if that is the reason she wrote it that way with like they're falling in love like mm-hmm. I hope that wouldn't be why she would write it that way but I'm just I'm trying to well, come up with more of a theory of why it was written this weirdly yeah it's just that because the culmination is Feyre's love being so dire and so extreme and so true that she is willing to yeah go through all of these unspeakable horrors under the mountain in order to save him and get him back it just it's questionable to me yes yes that that debunks the recent theory completely too because mm-hmm. <laughs> like that would make no sense why would all why would she risk all of this it's literally she's risking it all for love that's literally the answer to the riddle we get Anyways, it's summer solstice. <laughs> it's a big party, and Feyre gets all dressed up and super drunk. Hell yeah. Uh, Tamlin plays his fiddle like a madman, and Feyre dances like Rapunzel um, in the, in the, like, <laughs> in in, the like, one the, the, the scene in Tangled. Yeah. yeah, you all know exactly what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, they wander off to listen to the Will of the Wisps, and they make out as the sun comes up. And Feyre mentions that this is the first time that she's ever been truly happy. During the section, Favor refers to the spring court as, quote, ours, Mm -hmm. which is sort of cute. Like, I'm glad she's finding a home. She deserves one. Yeah, she does. Also, this, this moment is the only (laughs) moment that I've ever been attracted to Tam Tam. I love a man with a fiddle, but I'm only attracted to him for all of a paragraph before he (laughs) ruins it. It's him being like, 
dance Feyre and then oh. down on his knees in front of her and playing it for her it's and I'm like ick, the ick is back her the dancing for back. him that gave me the ick that gave me secondhand embarrassment every time mm-hmm. I read this when she dances for him and she's like dance for me Feyre and I'm like I have to stop reading I'm embarrassed right now like her <laughs> her drunk and dancing happily and just commenting in the narration about like this beautiful fiddle playing and then stopping and whipping her head around and realizing that it's tamlin that's attractive yeah that was hot that's a hot moment yeah everything that happens afterwards sucks no it's not good <laughs> he had like one good moment and then he's like ah back to oh good old tampon mm-hmm. great <laughs> Also, uh, last episode, I talked about that quote that Feyre's dad makes about hope. And Mm. uh, I was like, I wonder if she ever changes her outlook or if that comes back. That was another one of those instances of me um, having read so fast the first time that I forgot major points. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like this one where uh, she (laughs) she calls back her father's quote about hope, saying that she finally feels it and imagines that a better life could be possible. She she cannot imagine how true that is gonna be for her i know i'm like farah bestie just fucking wait it's gonna Mm -hmm. get so good Mm -hmm. but i will stand by i will forever stand by the fact that she had to fall in love with tamlin for her own personal growth like i don't like tamlin but she had to love him for her own personal journey she needed to be loved this way to know that she was worthy of love and yes how what kind of love she was worthy of because this is love but Mm -hmm. she's worthy of better love than this one like we've all had to have shitty boyfriends who weren't shitty men like they weren't shitty men they were just like they made us feel loved but they didn't love us the way that we needed yes we had to date them to learn what we needed and tamlin is that for Feyre. exactly that's perfect i love that that's great um this is something I want to know, and also I wanted to know about the dinner scene. Tamlin literally only compliments Feyre when she is dressed in feminine clothing, i.e. a dress. Um, it's only when she is fitting in his power dynamic, because the other times he's complimented her, it's been very backhanded, or he like retracts the statement or uses it in an insult later on, like, I didn't expect a human would be like this, to me, I didn't expect a human would be like this, and he's like... I, I hate it. I hate this so much. <laughs> I think he also only compliments her when she's uh, dressed in feminine clothing because the rest of the time she dresses like Lucian and he's afraid to admit to himself <laughs> how attracted he is to it's Lucian. True. <laughs> it's like if I compliment Feyre's tunic, I have to compliment <laughs> Lucian's. It's literally the same tunic, but it's a different color. I don't think I can do that. I'm going to say nothing or be mm-hmm. like, your hair is clean. That's a good compliment, right? (laughs) Um, So the next day, our trio is having lunch um, when silence falls. Lucian glamours Vera and pushes her against the window just as Rhysand enters. He, Lucian, and Tamlin trade snarky remarks for a bit, um, but eventually Rhysand does find Vera. Uh, takes hold of her mind. All that fun jazz. Tamlin begs him not to tell Amarantha, and Reese again, he like takes pleasure in entering Feyre's mind and learning more about her and watching Tamlin beg and get on his knees. Um, and when this is all over, when he's about to leave, he asks Feyre for her name and she says Claire better before he disappears. Oh, this chapter. Okay, so first thing, minor detail, <laughs> but I love Lucian, so I have to point it out. Um, 
is when uh, Rhysand finds favor and is like, who's this? He's like, my betrothed. And I'm like, I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> How, like, it's it's something that's been popping up a lot on my, like, For You page on TikTok is people being like, how did she fall in love with Tamlin when Lucian was right there? And I'm it's like, good, good, good freaking cue. He's I hot. don't he's, know. He's hot and he's snarky, can hold a conversation, can banter. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Tamlin saying, I don't enforce rank in my court. Um, yes, you fucking do. The audacity. Oh my god, I hate when he said that. I was like, just wait till the next fucking book tampon. He does it all the time in this one, too. It's true. Yeah, you're right. I just... Ugh. I hate him. This man is so hypocritical, and it makes me want to punch things. Also, Resand gives a callback to the head that he left in the garden. Ooh. Um, He says, it was a nice reminder of the fun days, wasn't it? And at first glance, you think maybe this is a reference to the war or the brutality mm-hmm. that existed before. Instead, it's actually a reference to the murder of Rhysand's family. Oof. Because Tamlin's family beheaded them and sent their heads in a box down the river. And so Rhys leaves this head in a fountain for Tamlin to find and then says it's a reminder of the fun days you know what I gotta respect the petty game with that mm-hmm. one like I don't like murder but you know like I have game respects game. no no doubt in my <laughs> mind that Amarantha was like uh you know kill this person do something to send a message to Tamlin and mm-hmm. Rhysand was like I'm gonna think creatively for this assignment yeah. I if I have to commit this atrocity, I want my, my petty little heart yeah. to uh, feel some satisfaction. <laughs> He's like, if I gotta do this thing that I don't want to do, I'm gonna do it my way. Mm-hmm. And he really was like, "Fuck you, Tamlin." Tamlin comes to Favor's room that night and tells her that he's sending her home to the human lands. He's taken on her life debt and is sending her back to protect her. And she argues against it, but he won't be convinced. They bone, and Tamlin tells Feyre that he loves her. Like, sh- this is another callback to, like, I feel like there's only, like, five Beauty and the Beast references in this book, but goddammit, I'm gonna point out all five of them, you know? Um, she says, she makes a comment, it's like a self-deprecating comment about how it's no wonder he wouldn't want her around when she's so prickly. This is another callback because of, like, the inspiration besides the curse and the key to breaking it, um... But she calls herself Thorny, also a call to the title of this novel and the series. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, ah, I see you, Feyre. I think it's funny because <laughs> li- she's literally the one trying to blame, not blame. Oh, my God. She's the one who's trying to, like, break Tamlin's curse. But she's the one calling herself Thorny. Interesting. Tamlin, this is another one of those scenes where he is really honest and open. Um, and mm-hmm. he talks about his weaknesses And again, it makes him a more interesting character and gives us more to think about as we move into the next book. Also, the claws are back. I'm just going to say that. So on the morning of her departure, Lucian is pissed at Feyre. um, And Tamlin sends her off in a fancy carriage and tells her again that he loves her, but she can't say it back. She falls asleep on the ride, but awakens to find her family living in an extravagant manner. Elaine is more bright and bubbly, her father more alert, and Nesta is quieter, but she's just as venomous as before. Um, 
Once again, Lucian seems to be the only person, like, really trying to push Tamlin into breaking the curse. Like, Tamlin, I think with, like, all the death around him, he just has no more motivation to try. And it's honestly really disheartening to see. And this is also, like, a glimpse of what the dynamic under the mountain will look like with Lucian and Tamla and how they serve Feyre. Like, Tamlin sits there and does nothing while Lucian is mm-hmm. actively trying to help Feyre, um... And again, I think Tamlin is thinking so passively here, and he literally waits till the very last second to even try to, like, do a Hail Mary to say, I love you, and try breaking that curse. Mm-hmm. Like, if he had kept her for, like, one more day, she might have felt comfortable enough to say she mm-hmm. loved him. Because it's not that she doesn't love him, she just was scared. Exactly. One more day. <laughs> this is Dick. another I don't enforce rank in my court my ass moments Literally. because Lucian's like, give her another day. Two. Does this mm-hmm. have to happen today? And Tamlin's like, shut up and go inside. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it so much. He's such a dick. Oh. <laughs> I also just get upset about how Elaine is depicted in this book. Like, her character obviously develops as we move forward in the mm-hmm. series, but then I like reread this one and I'm like, oh, this makes me sad because I really love Elaine. I um, know, I do too. And she's so one dimensional in this book. It's sad. I I hate it. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I want her to be the Elaine we see in later books. Feyre tries to settle into human existence and helps Elaine in the garden, and she goes to visit the cottage. And while she's there, she reflects on how the light in Elaine has never really gone out. So I actually, this is the third, t- third, fourth time I've read this, and this is literally the first time I've noticed how observant Elaine is. And I feel like this is this contributes to the gift the cauldron gives her when she becomes high fey as like a seer, because she's noticing all these small little changes. She also knows she notices. Feyre being different since she got back. She notices Nesta being, like, a little bit more off, a little bit more cold than usual. And I also, I I like the comment Feyre makes about Elaine, um, ne- never, never letting herself not be optimistic about the future and that things would be okay. Like, I like that we're starting to get a different representation of, like, all different kinds of women in these novels like it's just a glimpse of what we're gonna see in the future but mm-hmm. i'm excited for it because i was like yes i fucking love this so Feyre then gives money to the impoverished of her village and then nesta confronts Feyre. the glamour didn't work on nesta the way it did elaine so she wants to know everything because she literally didn't know what happened like she tried to go to the wall she made it to the wall couldn't find a way through came back and then I had to listen to Elaine and her father think Feyre was fine. Um, and after all this, after this actually really nice moment between Elaine and Nesta, Elaine, oh my god, between Feyre and Nesta, Feyre teaches her how to paint. It, it's cute. Mm-hmm. I love Nesta. I do too. I love her. I love, first of all, that there's something about her that is so unbreakable that Tamlin's glamour didn't work on her Mm -hmm. and so while the rest of their family while Elaine and their father believe that Feyre went off to live with some aunt she knows exactly what happened and she's like no fuck that I'm gonna save my sister and she goes out and hires a mercenary to take her to the wall to go and rescue her little sister she's like I've never been there for her I'm gonna be there for her now and I love that 
I love that so much. And I think it shows a lot about Nesta's true character. Yes. And what truly lies within Nesta that we have not been given the opportunity to see and we will not get to see for another book and a half. And then we'll start to see it in Akawar and then we'll really see it in Akosif. Oh, yes. I can't wait for that. mm -hmm, I love mm -hmm. getting the glimmers, especially like we see like a little, little bit of it. Yeah. And and then it fully comes into full force once we get her novel. I also like that in these past two chapters, we're seeing the dynamics between Feyre and her sisters and how they're both full of love. Like, I like how we're flipping that toxic family dynamic on its head now, finally, and seeing Mm -hmm. her interact in a really loving way with her sisters. Um, But functionally, like, Feyre's relationship with Elaine versus Nesta, they they look and are totally different. And I really like that. I love mm-hmm. a good family dynamic. Well, and we have to talk about the fact that part of that is because Feyre was so full of hatred it's and true. was so void of joy mm-hmm. when they lived in the cottage that she couldn't experience a loving dynamic with her sisters. And now that she has love in her heart, she's able to give love to her family as well. Mm-hmm. I also like that was the shows how much of an unreliable narrator Farah is, I think, because like we mm-hmm. saw before she went to Prithian, we saw like the coldest depiction of her sisters in the world. And like maybe it wasn't like a far cry, like short of what it actually was. But like now that she's like she's in love, she feels happier, she's felt comfortable. It's like a totally different thing. And I'm just like, I wonder what the real what it really was without her bias. I just want to point out that we already have foreshadowing in this book as to how deeply Nesta needs a mate. Mm. She references that she broke it off with Thomas Mandre. Was that his name? I think so, yeah. Who she was talking about wanting to marry at the beginning of the book because he wouldn't have gone to Prithian with her to rescue Feyre. And Mm -hmm. she knew that. And that wasn't a man worth having. She also talks about their father. And she says, um, there are days when I want to ask him if he remembers the years he almost let us starve to death. Feyre says, you spent every copper I could get. And she says, I know you could always get more. And if you couldn't, then I wanted to see if he would ever try to do it himself instead of carving those bits of wood. If he would actually go out and fight for us. I couldn't take care of us, not the way you did. And I hated you for that, but I hated him more. I still do. He's always known I hate him even before we became poor. He let mother die. He had that fleet of ships at his disposal to sail across the world for a cure. Or he could have hired men to go into Prithian and beg beg them for help but he let her waste away. He let her die. You would have gone to the ends of the earth to save your high lord. Like, this girl needs someone who will go to the ends of the earth for her. She needed Cassian, and we get that foreshadowing for the first time in this passage. I love this so much. She's so loyal, too. I also want to ask, do you think that some of Nesta's hatred toward her father is tied to her existence as a mini version of her mother. Huh. Her father let her mother die and wasn't willing to 
go to the ends of the earth to save her mother. And so she feels like he never truly loved her. And that means that he never truly loved Nesta either. If she's the miniature version of their mother and their father never loved her enough, how would he ever love Nesta enough? It's true, though. I think this is something we either Nesta says and like Akasith, um, or it's like commented on, but like Nesta was her mother's daughter. Like her mm-hmm. mother, like, I don't know necessarily, like she like loved her, but also was like, she was like, Nesta, perfect. This is the daughter, this is my perfect daughter. Mm-hmm. And like their father favors Elaine. He's always favored Elaine because Elaine is an image of him. So I don't think, yeah, I feel like that's why their relationship is so bad. Mm-hmm. because she is her mother's daughter. I feel like he can't look at her without seeing their mother and also seeing the way he's failed up in the past because mm-hmm. he literally let their mother die. So he like sees Nesta and he's like, cool. I see my dead wife's face and also my daughter who hates me, who I know I have let down. Also for Nesta, where her only sense of worth or purpose came from what her mother was raising her to be. Mm-hmm. And from that relationship with her mother, for that to suddenly be killed because their father couldn't save Mother Archeron is really tragic. Like, it's not just their mother who died. Nesta died as well because Mm -hmm. she didn't know how to do anything else. She had no other purpose. Exactly. And and so he not only let Mother Archeron die, but he let Nesta die as well. Anyway, Favor's family holds a ball in her honor, and she doesn't take any interest in the human men there, obviously. <laughs> but then she learns that the Better's home burned down with them inside. Claire's body was never found, and she makes the choice to return to Prithian. She rides to the spring court to find the manor destroyed and abandoned. Dun, dun, dun. dun. And that's the last plot point that we're going to discuss yeah. today. I just want to mention Nesta tells her not to come back and she saw something along the lines of father told you once not to return and I'm telling you now we will be fine leave and don't come back and it breaks something in me it really it really does because it's said it's said with love yeah which is why it hurts me so badly because it's not just like get out of here yeah it's go do do not take care of us anymore no you've done enough Mm -hmm. and it feels like the more sincere version of what her father said to her before she left for prithian the first time i think Mm -hmm. i don't know nessa's version just hits more sincere also broke me how elaine was like sobbing and she was like i remember now i remember everything like i don't know what happened i don't know why this happened is she's like full like 180 like had one idea of how things were and now she's like what the actual fuck happened Holy mm-hmm. shit. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about those themes that we brought up last mm-hmm. time. But I want to start by introducing a new theme that I want to talk about, which is we talked about like toxic family dynamics mm-hmm. in the last episode. I want to introduce just unhealthy relationships as a uh, theme or as something that 
I want us to analyze and think about moving forward. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we have the Tamlin and Feyre dynamic. I want to point out that on page 200, Tamlin gives Feyre a bouquet of flowers after biting her and after their fight. She does mention that he genuinely apologizes. They both apologize, although I don't think that she has a reason to. I I literally hated that too. Like, why are you apologizing? I need to point out how this is a classic behavior in unhealthy and abusive relationships, gift giving after abuse. We see Tamlin do this again in A Court of Mist and Fury when he gives her paint to apologize for keeping her cooped up and blowing Mm -hmm. up the study with her inside of it. Yep. Tamlin's also obsessed with Feyre being not like other girls (laughs) and being the way that he wants her to be. We discussed this a little bit before. Uh, Rather than being willing to see her for who she is he likes the winter woods painting because it reminds him of where she came from but he seems to think that she's no longer that half wild beast that he took from the hovel she is that's still in Mm -hmm. her but he refuses to see it and instead chooses to only see the perfect idealized version that he wishes her to be yep I think it's interesting because when we think of not like other girls, we think of like a tomboy. But in this situation, it feels like it's the reverse of that. Because like Mm -hmm. his version of not like other girls is wanting to push her into this very hyper feminine creature that like Pharaoh, like when she is comfortable, she sits very happily in the feminine. But also there's still like the masculine, the huntress inside of her. Like it's never going to be fully gone. It's embedded in her. But Tamlin does not want that. He Mm -hmm. wants her completely in the feminine. And I feel like Feyre, like, subconsciously probably knows this, because when she wants to impress him, she dresses up nicely. She Mm -hmm. specifically dresses up in gowns that are going to make her more Fey-like. She lets Alice put flowers in her hair, um, because I feel like she notices that, oh, Tamlin complimented me at dinner the other night when I was wearing a dress. Guess I'm going to wear a dress to the summer solstice, too, so he can compliment me again. Because he mm-hmm. only seems to really do this when I'm wearing feminine clothing. And we we notice in the next book especially how Feyre is at her happiness or happiest when she is embracing both those traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine yep. qualities and traits. And she's not allowing herself to notice the true reasons for mm-hmm. her happiness. She's just tying it all to Tamlin, which is also yep. unhealthy. It's not all Tamlin's fault. No, because like she is traumatized, I think, from having to be shoved into the, ma- the that masculine role, mm-hmm. from having to hunt and provide for her family for so long. So like, I, it does, it makes sense for her to want to be more feminine in the spring court and not want to fully embrace like that huntress. She wants to be the artist again. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's it, ta- it that's what it took for her to embrace both sides in Agamath. It took her having to kind of resolve, not resolve her trauma, but process her trauma a bit more from Under the Mountain and prior in her human life to be like, oh, these are both sides of me. These are aspects of myself that I, I need to embrace if I don't want to hate myself anymore because they are a part of me whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. The thing when we look at their relationship is that neither of them are bad people i truly don't believe that tamlin's a bad person but they are not right for each other they're not necessarily bad for each other but they're not right for each other no and so it hurts when we see a relationship dynamic that is so clearly not right but it is the central driving force in a book it's true so 
we also have to just talk about Tamlin's unhealthy relationship with everyone around him. Yeah. The thing about Tamlin is that I don't think he's capable of having a healthy relationship with anyone Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know what one looks like. He was surrounded his entire life by his power hungry and cruel brothers and father. And the only person that he references actually liking or being liked by is his mother who didn't get along with his father. They were Mm -hmm. mates, but they didn't have a loving relationship. Mm -hmm. He's never known how you're supposed to show affection or how to have intimacy um, because that's the only romantic relationship he ever witnessed. And he doesn't know how to not have weird power dynamics because even in even his healthiest relationship, which was with his mom, Mm -hmm. involved a parental and child power dynamic. That's so true. (laughs) You could also argue that his healthiest relationship may have been the one that he had with Resand, who he then betrayed and was betrayed by. His relationship problems stem from trauma, and I don't think that we necessarily give him enough grace for that. No. It's not an excuse for his behavior. He's literally 400 plus years old and should know better and get his shit together. But it is a reason that I think that we often ignore. I agree with all this. And like something I quote very often is I'm like, yes, if you've gone through your own personal trauma, that sucks. I'm sorry you have to go through that. That definitely affects how you deal with your relationships. And I'm giving him a little bit of grace for that. But also I'm like, this does not give you an excuse to treat people like shit. Your mm-hmm. trauma is not an excuse to be a bad person. Mm-hmm. Like, agreeing with all the all you just said, I think that stems into his and Lucian's dynamic a ton. Like, mm-hmm. I truly believe Tamlin thinks he's being a good friend to Lucian. Because he's like, oh, I saved him from the Autumn Court. I'm letting him be my emissary. I'm le- He has this functional job in my court. Um, but he thinks he's being a good friend to Lucian because this sort of abusive behavior has been modeled to him by his father and his brothers. Like, that's how he believes relationships with men look like. Because, mm-hmm. like, everything ends in violence with Tamlin. Even his mm-hmm. healthy relationship with Reese eventually ended in, like, horrid violence and murder. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, like, it's not that he can't be good friends with Lucian because Lucian is in his employ. Because Mm -hmm. we see in the next book with the inner circle how that can be a healthy dynamic. The difference is that in the inner circle, there are moments where they are family and there are moments where they are a court. They have that boundary. There's a boundary there. And it's very clear when that boundary is shifted or when... uh, their responsibilities in a moment are shifted in the spring court they are always just a court and there is no boundary (laughs) that boundary doesn't exist and so lucian only knows the power dynamic of this is my high lord and i am his emissary and yeah we're buddies but like it's a fine line Mm -hmm. you know like i don't want to get reported to hr you know (laughs) (laughs) and he like Because we see Lucian towing that line because I feel like Lucian also hasn't seen great, like, relationship dynamics in the Autumn Mm -hmm. Court. Like, his entire relationship with his brothers and his father are, like, shit. Like, -hmm. they literally tried to chase him down and murder him. They murdered his betrothed. It's bad. But I feel like There's not a single man in this novel who has had a healthy relationship with other men. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like the difference between Lucian and Tamlin, though, I feel like Lucian has at least, or it seems to, 
at least on the surface, we don't have a POV, so I guess we don't really know. He seems to have processed this more than Tamlin at the very least and kind mm-hmm. of understand at least the relation dynamics and like where they're maybe not maybe wrong i would say because he toes that line with tamlin quite often because he's trying to establish like a friendship high lord boundary because he's like i'm trying to help you as my as your friend the wingman but also i'm a member of your court right now and i kind of don't want amarantha to rule over us so it's Mm -hmm. like a really awkward boundary for him to try to establish because tamlin doesn't understand what that's like in a relationship i also want to point out that tamlin runs from intimacy so uh the most notable instance of this is that after they consummate their relationship he is gone when pharaoh wakes up the next morning um but he flees additional emotionally intimate moments throughout the book like in the rose garden when pharaoh gets close to him and like wants to lean into him and he flees from her. Mm-hmm. Cal and Mai, when Feyre starts to reciprocate what is happening in the hallway and he steps back and refuses to be yeah. there. Rhysand's visit, when that intimate emotion is presents itself as rage and he orders... In his fear, he orders Lucian and Feyre out of the dining room so that he can destroy it. Every time that he feels an intimate emotion, he flees from it. Mm -hmm. And it's just really sad. It is. I, like, want him to get, like, fairy therapy. That should be a thing. (laughs) They should have fairy therapist because my lord all of these characters need they need a, it. a, a good therapist because mm. my god these are some not great dynamics not great trauma that Accurate. people are not dealing with not dealing with at all like mm-hmm. he's like i feel like i gave him a lot of like he's so stagnant he doesn't do shit but also he's really scared of being intimate he's scared of falling in love so I feel like he was never going to really buck up and admit it to Feyre in a moment where she could actually say it back to him because he has mm-hmm. unhealed trauma and he's like, well, I loved my family. Well, not really. I loved my mother, but she was literally murdered in front of me. And I mean, I know I murdered his family, but like, oof, I'm traumatized now. I don't want to say I yeah. love her because she's going to be murdered. <laughs> Next in Toxic Family Dynamics, we talked a little bit earlier about how um, Feyre and her sister's toxic family dynamics seem to be shifting away because of her time spent in Prithian, her time falling in love with Tamlin, and being comfortable exiting that provider role. Like, mm-hmm. she's having conversations with Elaine. She's gardening with Elaine. Nesta, even, she feels, even if Nesta still is, like, a little sour, Nesta wants to learn how to paint. Nesta very clearly wants to spend time with Feyre because she missed her. She loves her. She was worried about her. And I just really, mm-hmm. I like seeing that fall away because of some of the healing Feyre got to do while she was away. And then we have Feyre's lack of self slash identity. Um, so with Feyre only seeing Nesta and her mother when she looks in the mirror, we saw this shift as she becomes more comfortable at Tamlin's estate. She starts to recognize herself as an individual, and as Gwen stated earlier, this is partially to do with Tamlin's growing affection to her. Like, she had to fall in love to kind of see her in, see her own self, 
yeah, see her own self-worth, I think. But also, I think it's a little sad because Feyre perceives Tamlin's supposed grand gestures as just that, a grand gesture. When he, like, when we as a reader take a step back, these gestures seem horribly mundane and half-assed. Like, she was excited about Tamlin, like, cleaning out, like, the, a painting room for her, but it was really, like, the the cleaning staff. Like, Tamlin didn't actually do that for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tamlin was so sweet. He gave me some roses from his mother's garden and apologized to me. Okay, but he apologized to you for, like, a really shitty thing. He didn't. It's not an actual grand gesture. It just seems it's, like, a half-assed way to keep you in his grasp. But Feyre sees it as a grand gesture because she's never really seen a full breadth of love from her family up to this point. So Tamlin's focus and attentions on her makes her want to brush problematic behavior under the rug and tolerate things I think she would not have tolerated if she was not in love with him. Because, again, she seemed to be more of, like, an an action-y person and she doesn't she kept she was asking a lot more questions when she first got to the estate Mm -hmm. and the closer her and tamlin have gotten to each other the less she asks questions the less she tries to dig for information because she's been told no so many times by tamlin she's just kind of given up Mm. and it's really sad to see her kind of have to force herself into a different role the role tamlin wants her to fulfill just to feel just like feel his love (laughs) (laughs) that's sad so Alyssa we weren't able to find a good personality quiz to take for zillennial quiz taking time so I'm wondering (laughs) if instead you'd like to play a quick game of would you rather oh yeah all right okay so here's our first okay would you rather swim in the starlight pool or wander off to listen to the will of the wisps at sunrise oh it's definitely swim in the pool of starlight that sounds lit as hell (laughs) (laughs) what would you do in this situation what would you do Uh, honestly i want to i want to know what the starlight feels like but it also it's like uncanny valley shit where like my brain is convinced that it's a bottomless hole that's going to swallow me. Oh, and yeah, fair. So I think I'd choose Will of the Wisps because it just sounds like the less stressful option for me. This is fair. This is mm-hmm. fair. I think I just I didn't pick that because I'm not a morning person. So like I don't want to be up at sunrise <laughs> personally <laughs> for that. It was at sunset be a different story. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Would you rather get drunk on fairy wine? Like, would you rather try the fairy wine or would you rather try the food that they serve in the spring court? Oh, this is tough because I feel like that food is really good. But I also would kind of kill to know what it's like to be on fairy wine. I think I'm going to say drunk on fairy wine because I'm just, I'd be so curious to see what it was like. I'd be all about the food. I love a fucking good pot roast, man. That's true. The roast chicken sounds delicious. <laughs> like, I just imagine eating, like, a fat-ass drumstick oh, and being so, so content. Good. Oh, oh I just, goodness. I would want to know. I would want to know what I'd be like on fairy wine. I feel like it would not be that much different from how I am when I'm drunk on normal wine. But, like, I, I want to know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I have to assume that Feyre's had normal wine before. I and would the too. fairy wine had her going. It's so. true. I just want to know what kind of drunk she was. Like, if she was already a happy drunk, 
mm-hmm. her fairy wine state would make sense. I'm also a happy dancy drunk. So would fairy wine just make me pop the fuck off? I want to know. Would you rather hold the hand of the summer court fairy while he died and have to witness that carnage or have to find the head in the garden? <gasps> oh, I think I'd rather find the head because then I would not have to see someone actively die in front of me. I'd just be like, ooh, jump scare. Really? I'd much rather <laughs> hold the hand of the dying fairy. I don't, like, blood doesn't bother me. It would uh, not bother me I'm that I'm, like, squeamish. kneeling in someone's blood. I'm also squeamish, but I think I'd be more freaked out by finding a random head than I would be by seeing the carnage on the table. Would you rather wear the tunic and pants or wear one of the spring court gowns? I want to wear a gown. I'm a dress bitch. Me too. I I'm love just, I just want to wear it. I just want to know what it feels like. I do too. I'm like, I respect Feyre not being a dress girl because not everybody is, but I am. I want to mm-hmm. be like, have my sound of music moment and twirl in the meadow. Would you rather have Feyre's bow and arrow or Lucian's bejeweled dagger and sword? Oh, I'm going to go with bejeweled dagger. I want to be bejeweled. Let's believe I'm still bejeweled when I walk in the room. I can, I can still, still make the whole, whole place, place shimmer. shimmer. That's me. I also am a horrible shot, so the bow and arrow would be useless to me. Truth. Truth. <laughs> agreed. 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 All right. Um, and last one, would you rather have Tamlin's beast form abilities or Lucian's mechanical eye that Feyre says seems to have special properties? I feel like I'd rather have a beast form. I just like my eyes. I don't want another eye. Oh, I want the mechanical <laughs> eye, I think. I'm interested by how different our answers have been. <laughs> I am too. And yet somehow we get the same quiz answers and I'm like, for how? <laughs> this was all different. If this was a quiz, we get the same result. We answered like pretty much differently the whole time. Oh, wait. I thought of one more that oh, I really okay. want to ask. Would you rather garden with Elaine or teach Nesta how to paint? Uh... Well, I think I'd rather teach Nesta how to paint because I also get frustrated with painting. I feel like we we could have a rage sesh together. Again, we disagree. <laughs> Man, I'm going to be in that garden with Elaine all day You'd long. have so much fun. Nesta and I be smashing oh the paintings. We'd give up early. And I'd Elaine like, and I done. could be little plant babies because yeah. I freaking love plants. <laughs> I just want to have a... I also want to talk to Nesta about smutty books. I feel like it'd be a great time. We'd get along great. <laughs> do you think that she's started reading them already? Oh, that's true. Maybe. Or do you maybe think I... that she starts reading them after she she moves? Maybe when she moves, but maybe I could gift her her first one. Mm. Be like, hey, I think you'd like this. Mm-hmm. It's about you your sister. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. Well, thank you all for listening to this. This, this little this weird bit, middle this... version. <laughs> It's going to get more exciting, we swear. The next it's part's going to be so like... It's so much middle. It's going to be hate it. better. Once we get under the mountain, it's going to be like boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. All right, y'all. <laughs> we will see you next time. Mm-hmm. Until um, then, you know what to do. Stay hot. Stay hydrated. And find our podcasts.
Uh, oh yeah (laughs) Alyssa where can they listen to the podcast (laughs) you can find our podcast on Spotify Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud if you listen to your podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts subscribe and give us a five star rating because we want people to find us also we want to show up in your Spotify rap next year so do it yeah (laughs) listen to the entire back catalog even the things that you aren't a fan of like listen to all of it go all the way back (laughs) to to the crap-tastic first episode when we didn't know what we were doing with audio or editing. Yeah, But it's it's, a wild ride and it's it's fun. It's so upsetting to listen (laughs) to, but it's so much fun. So you should listen to it. Yes, you should. Uh, And you should also (laughs) connect with us on social media. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at T-Squee. If you have longer thoughts, want to send us something cool, you can always send it to our email, tnsquee at gmail.com. That's T, the letter N, squee at gmail.com. This week, if you feel so compelled, make us a personality quiz that has to deal with just the first Avatar book. Because that's been our struggle. All all of the quizzes have to deal with the entire series, which is fine. But uh, we're struggling we're struggling we over are. here mm-hmm. i also like we we talked about how we would have wanted like a like a tamlin or lucian quiz like which one would you like end up with which i realize now no one wants to get tamlin so that's probably why it was never right. made <laughs> but no one wants to get tamlin but wouldn't it be fun if we did yeah also we could add, add resand as a third option i know he sometimes only- i just want to be upset <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> i mean uh, sometimes when I did take an Avatar personality quiz, one of the times I did get Tamlin, I absolutely threw a fit and I was like, well, <laughs> I don't accept this. So someone on TikTok said that if Tamlin represented a, a Zodiac sign, he would be cancer. And I feel personally offended by that. Yeah, that's, that's aggression. Uh, that, that's. That's aggression. That's cancer uh, hatred right there. I can't talk. <laughs> we need to end this episode. Okay. Say, okay. We want All a right. personality quiz, though, for this first book. Cause yeah. We get no one. It's not anybody's favorite. But mm-hmm. please if just you, do it. If you feel inclined to make one, send it our way, and we will take it live on the pod. We, we won't even cut out the middle bit. We'll just no, do the whole quiz. to hear the whole thing. Okay. All right, y'all. Stay hot. Stay hydrated. And we will see you next time for the last part of A Court of Thorns Yeehaw! and Roses. Yes. It's All right. Real oh. deep. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Right. Bye. Bye.